sorry, can you repeat, please? You know that, right? Can you repeat the question, please? Uh, let's stop here. But I still didn't get the question, sorry. Okay, got it. Uh, nice technique. You're talking about life cycle methods? <laughs> I can uh, drink some... Uh, I don't know, we can just drink something. <laughs> A great answer. Uh, just to stop here, I cannot find the string. Thank you, Victor, for your questions. Everything was really cool. Hi everyone, my name is Chris Howard and I'm one of the Anywhere Club hosts here on the English Speaking Channel. It's a real privilege to have you joining us for another interview series. Today we're going to be talking all things JavaScript front end. For those of you that are new to the Anywhere Club, we're a global online community for IT professionals, helping with your career development, relocation and even learning new languages. Today we've got an amazing session lined up with both our interviewer and our interviewee on the topic of JavaScript front end. This is a mid-level role with five plus years experience talking all things React and JavaScript. I'm really excited for what we've got lined up and I think it's going to be an incredible session to get some hands-on insight into what a real-life interview scenario looks like. We'll be joined today by two speakers, Victor Soroka and Alexi Dubois, and we'll be talking all things JS. So, without further ado, let's meet our candidates and our interviewer and find out more. Over to you. Hi guys, happy to be here. I'm a front-end developer with over uh, nine years of experience. So, I started uh, small as a junior uh, software engineer here in TPAM during our pre-production program. So, uh, happy to be at TPAM, really. And my, my primary focus is on uh, uh, front-end applications uh, with React specifically. And also I um, act as a manager, uh, as a resource manager and as talent manager and as skill advisor, as you see. Um, so uh, I think I will be capable of asking both technical and non-technical questions. So uh, ready to start. Amazing. And it's great to have you join us, Victor. And of course, now over to our candidate, Alexi, to introduce himself. Hello, Anywhere Club. My name is Alexi, and I am a front-end engineer. I have experience for about uh, four years long, and I have started my career here at TPAM as a junior software engineer, and I'm very glad to be here as well. My primary stack of technology are JavaScript, React.js. Also, I worked a bit with clouds like AWS, and I uh, know Java just a little bit. Thank you. So there we have it. We've met both our interviewer and our interviewee. And all we have to do now is kick off that interview. So I'm going to disappear from the background and hand over for an amazing interview session on our JavaScript front end as part of the Anywhere interview series. Over to you. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm feeling great, thank you. Just a, li a little bit nervous, y you know, just uh, this common interview. <laughs> it can yeah. be nervous, actually. Yeah, it's uh, it's fine, uh, but we're gonna have just like discussions, so uh, I think you're gonna do great. I just want to introduce you the position. It's gonna be uh, for front-end developer role for JavaScript engineer uh, with focus on React. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, that sounds really great. Just before we start, uh, can you tell us a bit about your uh, experience overall? Uh, yes, 
Yes, sure. So I have started my career as IPAM, as a junior software engineer. So my uh, primary stack was Angular, uh, like in the very beginning of that. Um, I uh, used AngularJS on my first project. And then we did kind of a migration from AngularJS to a React application. And after that, I primarily use React in, uh, in my applications. So um, right now, I'm working on the project as a key developer i'm working on um i'm working with react i'm, I'm working with azure clouds and also we have just a little bit of note yeah sounds great uh, and just you know a uh, common question but i really like to ask this one what do you consider your most challenging task over all of your career it depends. Um, if we're talking about the technical uh, challenging task for me, that was the migration task from that from my first project when I worked as a junior software engineer. It was really complicated for me, and I struggled maybe several weeks for doing that. Of course, I um, used some help from my team lead, uh, from senior developers as well, and together we did it. Um, I was performing the complex migration uh, from the old version of Node to the new one, but it involves actually a lot of breaking changes and a lot of application code was re was rewritten. But if we are talking about like the my uh, uh, my challenging uh, soft skills problem, that was my estimation mistake. So it happened maybe a month ago, not 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 a month ago, maybe four months ago. It gave me the task, and uh, the customer asked like how many uh, weeks or how many months you will do this task. And I will say like, I said like, um, I'll do that in two weeks. Um, yeah, two weeks will be enough. Yeah, that's good. And the customer say, yeah, that's great. So uh, let's get started. And after one week have passed, I see that there are a lot of work and I won't do that in one week, maybe three, four, five weeks. Uh, and that was a really complex challenge for me to uh, do everything right. And of course, I did that more than in two weeks. So that was one of my mistakes. Uh, Mistakes and one of my challenges. So right now, if I'm talking about estimations, I'm trying to, you know, overestimate something. So if customer will ask me like uh, how many days you will do this task, I will say five, but I know that I'm doing four three. <laughs> yeah, got it. Uh, yeah, it's a really great lesson you learned. I mean, uh, in terms of that, yeah, we shouldn't underestimate because customers can can stick to that uh, value and then use it uh, as uh, you know uh, use it uh, against us so we must be prepared uh, and overall estimation is of course a really big topic okay thank you for this uh, uh, for this answer uh, let's start with our pro uh, like program with my uh, main questions uh, uh, and the first one is typical one but uh, uh, still uh, very important can you tell us about um, uh, event loop uh, in JavaScript, how it works, and uh, you know what uh, data structures are present there. Uh, yes, sure. So when we are talking about the event loop, it's actually um, the thing. Uh, it's actually just an endless loop where the JavaScript uh, waits for the tasks, executes them, and then sleeps, waiting for the most uh, for the more tasks. So 
as we know, uh, JavaScript is a one single threaded programming language, and it can be a problem to work with asynchronous code. So that's why the event loop concept was introduced. So uh, the, the general algorithm of the engine is like very simple. So while there are tasks, we will execute them, and uh, then the event loop will just sleep until the task appears. But um, one more thing, it's it's just uh, several queues. Uh, the event loop have Micro task queue and micro task queue. Um, micro task queue, it's actually like some tasks, some uh, things that we do from the code. And the micro tasks uh, are the queue, consists of some promises, some um, set a mouse operation. But one uh, major moment here the queue of the micro tasks mu must be finished before we will do the next micro tasks. Okay, thank you for for the answer. Uh, and with regard to uh, this microtask queue, you mentioned you know promises are there, but what if we have the example if uh, uh, there is a promise and there is a then uh, callback uh, there and it creates a new promise. So uh, what should what will be uh, executed first? The next promise or the uh, the first scene in the macro task queue so if i understood you correctly we have the promise with them right and after that we have another promise right um yeah. so uh, like i said um the all micro tasks queue must be finished before we will go to the next macro task so this then will be executed only after completing the previous one uh -huh. okay uh, okay, that's good with uh, event loop. Let's proceed uh, to our uh, next question. Uh, actually, uh, let's talk about React. And uh, can you tell us about uh, React and why it's really uh, popular nowadays? And assuming your experience with Angular, uh, maybe you can compare those two uh, and uh, you know explain why still React is better and in what things you think Angular is better. So. Okay, thank you for the question. So uh, React library is a, is just a library. Uh, it will extend the JavaScript functionality with introducing GSX syntax. So we can write JavaScript code. Uh, inside the JavaScript code, we can write almost HTML code right in our components, and that's elegant and easy solution. React is a lightweight library, and it is easy to use. And um, Angular is more complex solution, um, Angular is a framework and it introduces uh, like a model view controller um, model. So that's why Angular can be a, a bit more complex than React. And I think that React is so popular nowadays because like I said, it is very, um, it, it is easy solution uh, that uh, can be scalable and reusable while Angular can have some learning curve problems. And with regard to uh, Angular, you know, uh, in uh, Angular, we use uh, TypeScript and it's built in. Uh, can we do the same with React uh, applications? 
Yes, uh, we can uh, work with TypeScript in React applications as well. It's not built in like in, in Angular. Uh, in Angular, we can just write with TypeScript, but in React, we can uh, we need to int- uh, we need to turn on this functionality to work with TypeScript language. Uh, like uh, the default option will be JavaScript. And uh, while we at this TypeScript topic, can you just highlight uh, uh, the benefits of using it? Maybe we don't. Even need this uh, TypeScript. Do you know what was uh, uh, the solution to type uh, React applications before TypeScript? Um, before TypeScript, as far as I remember, there was something like uh, JavaScript uh, GGS. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't remember that actually. But uh, the TypeScript is like the enhanced version of uh, JavaScript. It introduces types. Uh, and it is very convenient to work with uh, types actually, because um, we have less uh, chances to like um, got a mistake or something. Also, we can work with some uh, unions. We can work with interfaces. We can work with uh, a lot of fun- functionalities that just does, does not exist in JavaScript, but exist in classic programming languages like Java or .NET. That's why TypeScript mm-hmm. can be uh, really. I- Mm-hmm. I meant prop types in React. This using it, we were able to add uh, typings to the props. Uh, but do you think it's uh, not enough for React applications, and we still need TypeScript? That actually depends. Uh, the prop types uh, can help us to work with types, uh, de- definitely. But uh, there are lots of more functionality. For example, we can use intersections and union types. And as far as I know, in prop types, we cannot do that. Um, also, there are like static typing. We can use uh, like classic classes. We can um, use um, classic inheritance, and I think that it have m- just like more advantages than just prop types in JavaScript. Of, of course, it depends. Maybe uh, someone will choose prop types uh, instead of their TypeScript, but uh, my solution will be using TypeScript. Yeah, uh, sounds good. I agree with you on that. Uh, okay, uh, with regard to React questions, um, let's proceed with the next topic. Just, you know, uh, uh, do you know the concept of um, virtual DOM and uh, what benefit it gives uh, for, you know, for React apps? Um, yes. So um, as far as we know, uh, the common web application uses just a DOM. DOM is like document object model that consists of several elements on the page. And it can be hard to update this DOM uh, when we're working on um, the on the website, it can be it can slow the performance. It can be really a complex operation. That's why React um, introduces a virtual DOM. So it's just a light white copy of the real DOM. And when React want to update something, it just um, it just monitor what what was changed. It changes them like a batches in virtual DOM, and then creates um, an operation to update the real DOM. But that how it was before. Right now, React uses fibers, so uh, it just um, works um, with uh, diff algorithm. It almost um, it always uh, monitors what was changed and creates a queue of operations. And after that, it um, runs this uh, queue to update that was changed. 
Okay, good. Uh, yeah, uh, nice that you mentioned fiber. Yeah, uh, it's current uh, current mechanism uh, of doing so. Not many candidates know that. Okay, uh, let's proceed with the next question, uh, still about React. Uh, can you tell us uh, what hooks uh, do you use? Do you, do you know? Do you use uh, the most? Yes. So uh, the hook is like a function that can be used when we want to create a side effect or we want to memorize something. There are a lot of hooks that we can use. Uh, use callback, use memo, um, use the effect, of course, use layout effect. For the most of the time, I use use effect or use callback uh, hooks. The use effect is a hook that uh, can perform si some side effects. For example, when something was changed or when the component was rendered, I can use the use effect hook to do something like from the side and uh, use callback can memorize the function for me. So if the function wasn't changed, uh, the, re the React will not uh, recalculate it. So I, I will be able to use it and it will um, it will decrease the, pe the performance wide to the application. Got it. Uh, you know, it's typical task uh, in front of the application to add some event listeners uh, and then remove them. How would you do this uh, with uh, the help of a uh, uh, use effect hook? So, uh, for example, uh, when we want to use this event listener, we can use use effect hook uh, to create it, right? And when something was changed, when we know that we don't need this event listener, we can use the use effect to unsubscribe from the event listener. So we we will not have any performance issues, and we will sure that uh, we unsubscribe from the event listener like uh, exactly the time when we need it. Can you tell, you'd mentioned that you used uh, uh, use callback. Why do we need even this hook? Uh, for what needs do you use it? So actually, um, uh, React um, can uh, memorize something, and it's uh, important when we are working on complex solutions like uh, complex web applications because the memory is not unlimited, and we need to uh, work with it somehow. So um, when we have some complex operations, uh, we should think about uh, memorizing the result because when we, for example, update the page, if uh, the component, for example, would be re-rendered if something was changed, uh, then this complex operation can be recalculated. As it's not the best way to work with web, web applications because it can wait to performance bottlenecks. So for that, we can memorize uh, some uh, results of complex operations. We can ensure that if none of the parameters was changed, for example, then uh, we can just reuse the previous result. So for that, we can use use memo hook or use callback hook. The difference is that use memo can uh, memorize the value Value, for example, and use callback and memorize the whole function uh, when we uh, want to use it. Got it. Yeah, uh, definitely. Can you tell us about uh, ways to manage state in React applications? How can you do it? Uh, uh, you know, maybe you have uh, you know multiple approaches uh, of doing that. Yes, sure. So. Uh, when we want to manage state in React application, we can start using use state hook. Uh, 
So it actually uh, creates an object uh, with two uh, parameters. The first one is just the state, and the second one is a function to set the state. And we can use this um, state uh, anywhere in the components. And when we change the state, then um, the component can be re rendered. Um, also, it can be a problem uh, because uh, sometimes we need to have like a lot of information in the state. So uh, for that, we can use either the objects. We can just uh, use, for example, an object for the state, or we can use some state management solutions like Redux or Mobix, or also React can uh, offer uh, built-in solution for that context. So we can store information using context. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, okay, let's proceed uh, with our next topics uh, outside React. And uh, let's talk about general concept uh, uh, of uh, clean code. Uh, what is, in your opinion, clean code, you know, high quality code, uh, you name it? For me, clean code is a code that it is easy to maintain, that it's easy to read, easy to understand, and of course, it is easy to change and it's easy to expand if we need it. So, for example, if we even don't need to write a command for this code, then the code is great and the code is clean. Of course, it was just an example, but when we see the code and we can clearly understand it, clearly read it, and if, if you already know how to change it, that's a clean code. And uh, what principles uh, do you know that uh, can help us with, uh, uh, with this? Um, so in my mind, I remember several of them. For example, dry. Uh, it means don't repeat yourself principle. So um, you can just, uh, it says what it says, right? You just don't have to repeat by yourself. You don't have to recreate something. If you create it once, you can reuse it. Um, the second one is KISS. Uh, it was created in US uh, Army uh, like 15 years ago or something. And it stands for keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> so uh, we don't have to over-engineer something. It is... Um, it, uh, it is enough just to create something and to expand it. We don't need to over-engineer or over-complicate something. Also, I uh, remember solid principles. I am not sure whether I will... Not take... yeah, yeah, let's not uh, dig into it. It's great that you know it. Uh, so, uh, great, uh, great answer. And, I, uh, you know, just to finish here, I just wanted to ask you about... Uh, um, different categories of uh, software design patterns and uh, overall uh, why do we need these patterns you know what can uh, they help us please so uh, there are several way uh, several types of patterns we have uh, creational patterns we have structural patterns and behavioral patterns and uh, for example creation patterns uh, designed or provide various object creation mechanism where we can uh, increase the reuse of the existing code. For example, a builder or um, factory or sing singleton. Um, the structural design patterns um, explain how to like assemble objects uh, into more larger structures. For example, adapter or uh, composite and Behavioral patterns are like uh, concerned with algorithms, and um, it assigns like the responsibilities between objects. For example, iterator or just state. That's uh, examples of behavioral de design patterns. 
Yeah, got it. Uh, but uh, can you tell us, yeah, why do we need these patterns? And uh, you know, uh, we can write code on our own. You know, uh, maybe you can explain. Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, the design patterns are typical solutions to commonly occurring problem. For example, uh, when we occur to, to the problem, I think that ninety nine percentage that we are not first who occurred the problem, and before that, someone created the best solution for that, and we can just reuse it. So um, it's like analogy to a cooking recipe, for example. For if you want to create a pie, I think you you wouldn't create a pie just from uh, the thing that you had. I think you will just look on the internet to find the recipe of the pie and we'll recreate it. So the same here. If you uh, encounter the problem, you can just use pattern to have the best solution for that. Nice analogy yeah, with recipe. Uh, we will use it in uh, future interviews. <laughs> uh, okay, let's proceed uh, with next question. And uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be a question about server-side uh, rendering. Uh, as you see right now with React, uh, there are uh, popular now frameworks like Next.js, like Gatsby. Uh, and I just wanted to ask you about why uh, uh, you know internet web development is moving towards uh, this um these uh, frameworks more uh, rather than using these traditional single-page applications? Okay, uh, so um, let me explain what is server-side rendering, first of all. So that's um, a mechanism that allows us uh, to get the site content that was rendered on the web server rather than a browser. So the server will prepare an HTML document and will just uh, send me the file, and that's all. So... Um, why actually that's important? Uh, first of all, um, that's important because uh, a lot of people now using mobiles, uh, phones, uh, maybe uh, everyone <laughs> using now the mobile, uh, the mobile phones, mobile applications, and the performance of these mobile applications is, of course, uh, less than performance of the regular web browser. So uh, it can be great if uh, our mobile phones will not render everything complex that the computer must do and it will just get the whole information from the web server and of course it can be like it it, it would be faster it would be ideal for some static website, uh, for example, because if you will re render the page, it won't be like uh, re render it again and again. It will just uh, get the whole HTML from the server, and that's all. That would be enough. So uh, that's why I think uh, that's a, a great solution. Um, also, uh, if we are talking about SEO opt optimizations, it will it will be more SEO optimized uh, because it is already on the web server. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, let's go with our next question. Uh, it's gonna be about performance. Uh, so imagine you uh, have the application that uh, runs slowly for whatever reason. How, what would be your steps to identify what can be run? Um, so first of all, um, I will try to see some metrics uh, to see what exactly can be wrong. For example, maybe it's uh, response time. Maybe it's just slow. 
or it can be or it, maybe it will like uh, use a lot of res system resources so um, I will see some metrics uh, there are a lot of metrics that can be used here like um, error rates for uh, for example then I will perform a load testing uh, there are there are a lot of applications that can help me for example the lighthouse or um, I don't remember how it's called like something with Google uh, the Google e instrument as well we can uh, use it so um, we can uh, test our application according to the lighthouse for example to see what can be wrong maybe uh, there is a function that recalculates every time and that's why my application is slow or I remember uh, from my practice I encountered a situation when my um, really complex function was re-rendered each time. I just forgot to use callback. I just forgot to use it. And it was uh, re-rendered re like uh, one, uh, one tenth per second. And my application was really slow. So it can be it can be a problem as well. So I will conduct some uh, stress testing, scalability testing. I will see what exactly can be wrong. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, a nice example of yeah of use callback because uh, um, you know sometimes we we see that uh, we even you know why React recommends us we can omit using these uh, callbacks you know if application like works okay like don't uh, uh, pre uh, preliminary optimize things yeah and uh, uh, in your case is definitely the case that you needed it. Okay, uh, let's proceed with the next question. Um, yeah, with regard to performance, by the way, uh, what ways uh, overall uh, do you know, um, just from top of your head, uh, for optimizations of uh, React applications, the common practices that we can use both on the front end and the back end, you know, uh, that you can name? Uh, to optimize React uh, to optimize React application, right? Um, so first of all, uh, we should avoid re-renders. So we should re avoid re-renders as, as many as we can, because re-renders re uh, without a reason are bad re-renders. So we need to uh, see that we memorize the complex uh, functions. We we need to make sure that um, everything is uh, um, Works purely, like without unexpected side effects. Uh, that's the thing. Just got top from the top of my head. Okay. Okay. Good. Uh, let's proceed with uh, next question. And uh, yeah, about uh, uh, code review process. How would you organize it? Okay, so uh, the code review process is a process when someone uh, reviewing the code of the another, and it's actually um, a risky thing because there can be a conflict. For example, someone can say my code is right and your your code is not, and we need to make sure that the whole uh, the whole process is uh, ready and the whole process is healthy. So uh, for doing that. Um, I will introduce some discussions. For example, if someone will create a pull, a pull request, we can discuss what was changed. Uh, we can use, I can introduce even um, pair checking of this uh, pull request because um, when just one person will uh, read this code and if one person will be re responsible for merging, I think that can be, that can lead to conflicts. So uh, for that purposes, 
for example, I can introduce uh, the these discussions so a whole team can check this pull request, uh, write some comments, and uh, then according to the comments, uh, this person that created a pull request will either fix them or is merge it. Okay, okay, got it. Uh, nice technique. Uh, and uh, overall, um, uh, during the code review, what things do you usually check? Uh, what is best, best practice uh, for you? Because, you know, you can see it's a lot of like of, uh, lines of code, you know, uh, and uh, but we still need to understand how to make it better. Uh, what would you check? Um, so it depends. Uh... It depends from well, like time to time, but uh, I think that it would be great if you have like a checklist. If you have a checklist, what must be checked? First of all, you check in whether the code works. Then you check some edge cases. Then you check uh, some syntax yes lint um, features. Then you check uh, the optimization, the the performance, and if something is works properly, then it's then it's right. So if is the code clean for you, then that's great, and you and you can approve it. But like I said, uh, that's um, work from the most of the cases because there are examples. First, um, for, for for example, when a customer really need the func the functionality, and it must be uh, just <laughs> delivered right away. And for that purposes, I can approve pull requests even if it's not like the best code. But then I will create some uh, technical depth items and I will uh, return to them as fast as possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, we don't need to forget about this uh, additional uh, follow-up uh, tech depth stories. Yeah, and uh, this is nice uh, technique Yeah, uh, in this case. Uh, you mentioned uh, like LinkedIn. Uh, how can it help us, uh, you know, in our day-to-day -day life? And also, uh, do you think it's similar to testing uh, in, uh, uh, you know, to testing concept, LinkedIn uh, versus testing? Uh, so um, that's actually uh, different things. Uh, linter is a thing that can check just your syntax rules. For for example, if you uh, you can uh, like um, set your linter for you, and for example, your code for you will be right, but for another person, this linter will give an error. So uh, the linter just follows some code standards, and that's all. It will show you some uh, potential problems, of course, but it's it cannot replace testing, of course. If we're talking about testing, you must write unit tests for your functions. For example, you if you created a function, first of all, you you should uh, check your function using linter just to see that it it uh, uh, it was written properly according to the code standard that you use on a project. And after that. If you make if you made sure that everything is fine by like the syntax, you must check this logic of the function because the code might be fine, but the function can return you a wrong value just because the logic is incorrect. And after that, you can use unit test to make sure that everything works properly. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, by the way, uh, do you uh, have an experience of writing unit tests uh, in the, for React applications? Uh, yes, uh, for the most of the time, I used Chest for writing a unit test. And uh, what uh, code coverage uh, do you do you uh, have on your project? 
Uh, so on my project, we have more than 70% of uh, coverage. I think it's, it is good. It is not best coverage that we can have, uh, but we don't need to have 100% of coverage. Uh, but I think that's a good number for us. And usually, I think if you have more than 70% of coverage, then that is already good. And I just yeah, uh, want to understand if customer... Uh uh have a no notion about this uh, code coverage scene and uh, you know pay attention to it yes the the customer knows about uh, this number and we are going to increase the coverage after we will uh, write more functionality of course yeah okay uh i just wanted to understand if you know about sonar cube and what benefits it also may bring to us during ci cd process here Yes, so uh, the, the Sonar Cube, it's like the uh, platform that can analyze the uh, the quality of the code. So it's not like the testing. You can just uh, use the Sonar Cube to see where you have potential code smells or uh, potential uh, p performance problem that can be that can be fixed in a moment. So that's why it will be it's a great way to use Sonar Cube. So it can be integrated with CISD process, like, like you said. When we push the code um, to the GitHub, for for example, the, the Sonar can just monitor this code to see the performance or code smells, and then it will say to you what can be fixed. Okay, I think we are done with uh, technical questions. Uh, and uh, now I just have a couple uh, soft skill questions, but still important questions. Uh, and I just want to discuss them with you as well. Um, so um, imagine you acting as a front-end lead or team lead on, in your team, and you have uh, now responsibilities to delegate tasks. Uh, how would you choose the person uh, uh, for the task and the task uh, that you want to delegate to this person? Uh, we are talking about delegation, right? Not the assignment. Uh, because delegation uh, is uh, the process when we also uh, delegate the responsibility for this task. So, uh, for example, if uh, I need to uh, pick a good person for the task like the right person because uh the main difference be between delegation in in assignments is uh is uh, about responsibility an assignment it's like so here is a task uh here is uh the uh, conditions so you must do this task uh like in two days so that's an assignment but the, the delegation is so i want to uh have them this and this and uh, you will have unlimited time. I I trust you, so please help me do that. Uh, you can do this part of my uh, of my tasks. I can delegate it to you. So that's a delegation. And if we're talking about, for example, the React applications, if we're talking about uh, programming here, um, we can. Uh, delegate uh, some big spheres of something. For example, uh, the person can work with its own tasks. The person can work with its own like um, functionality. And we don't even need to uh, track them or assign them. I think uh, that's delegation. OK. Uh, and uh, what would be your steps uh, in order to introduce a task to uh, the person and overall just to track uh, the progress that to make sure that the task that you delegated is done uh, correctly. 
I can have some meetings with this person. Uh, I can uh, just uh, talk with this person to see that everything goes fine. But uh, it won't. It won't be like a boss and employee uh, relationships. It would be like just employee with employee relationships. So uh, we will have the uh, common rights, and um, we can just talk about the tasks to see that everything works properly. And what would not would you not delegate? Uh, what task would you leave for yourself? Um, that actually uh, depends from the project, right? Uh, because I think that uh, most of the tasks can be delegated, and I think that um, I won't delegate some tasks that are um, connected, like exactly with my part of the work, exactly with something that customer asks me to do or was delegated to me, uh, then I will do that by myself. Okay. Uh, let's proceed with the next question um, about uh, onboarding. Uh, imagine you again ask as a uh, front-end lead uh, and you have a new member in your team. How would you organize uh, the onboarding for this person? So first of all, um, I will meet the team. So I will in, I will introduce the team and I will uh, make sure that the per this person feel comfortable because um, it is always not just about technical things. It um, we must remember that it is always uncomfortable to meet a lot of uh, new people and a lot of newer uh, solutions. That can be hard. And first of all, I will make sure that this person feel properly. So I will uh, introduce a team. I will in introduce some ceremonies. I will in introduce the process, like how we work. And after that, I will introduce what we do. I will introduce um, the solutions that we use. I will introduce um, the things that we do. And it can be not like be just one-to-one -one meeting. It uh, can be meetings with the whole team just to make sure that the person understands that everything uh, that everything that uh, goes here is uh, well designed and mental <laughs> and mental safe. Definitely. And uh, what would you choose as a first task for this person? So as a first task for this person, I will choose uh, something easy and not just I don't like, um, I don't try this person or I don't know uh, the skills of that person. I will choose something easy just to warm up this person. So uh, this person will see how everything works and uh, just inside his head, inside his head, this person will know how he, how them, they can work here. So it will be an easy task. For example, fix some styles or fix any bug or something. But like I said, it will be only the first task or maybe the second one. Because after that, of course, we need to enroll this person to the core functionality. Uh, let's proceed with the next question about motivation. Um... So what approaches would you use in order to motivate your team just to track that they are still like uh, have uh, motivation to work on this project? Because we know the common problem of uh, developers in IT is that uh, uh, developers tend to burn out. Yeah. And, you know, it's also one of the responsibilities of uh, front-end leads, uh, uh, team leads, uh, in order to uh, make sure their team is not uh, in the state. Um, yeah, that actually can be a real problem because I have encountered burnout condition by, by myself. 
now everything is fine and uh, as a team leader of course uh, i will try to do all everything that i can to prevent this burn down for for my employees so the first one is to work properly according to the sprints and according to the scrum metrics i mean that me uh, that means that we don't have to do more than we expect uh, if uh, we talk with a customer that that this amount of the task will be enough, then it would be enough. Of course, there are some exceptions. For example, the release is burning or something was broken. Of course, yeah, that happens. But for the most part uh, of uh, our work, um, I will do my best. So uh, my employees will, will work only the time they need to work. And that's all. So after six o'clock, they, it's day time. They must rest. And that's all. After that, uh, I will introduce team buildings. Um, there are a lot of uh, places where we can go as a team. We can grab some pizza. We can uh, drink some, uh, I don't know, we can just drink something. <laughs> and uh, it would be a great solution for everyone just to um, know each other more closely and to trust each other. Uh, more closely, I think it is very important as a part of the job as well. And the third things, uh, I will not limit uh, my employees to uh, work on something. For example, if the person wants to work with AWS cloud, um, I will say, yeah, that's great. So let's see what you know about AWS and we can uh, select an appropriate task for you. Because um, if a person wants to work with clouds and it is not allowed to work with clouds in the project that can decrease the, the motivation of this person. So I won't limit uh, my employees on that. Definitely. And a really nice uh, yeah, uh, idea with team buildings. Yeah, we work not only with like, we want to know not only uh, how good our uh, team in terms of development, but we want to know the people. So uh, it's important. Okay, Alexey, thank you for your questions uh, with regard to technical and soft skills. Uh, I think I'm done with uh, the questions. And now uh, we have the last piece, uh, the practical task. And uh, let's uh, proceed uh, with this. Uh, for this task, we need uh, online editor, uh, constant box. Uh, can you please open it? Yes, yes, it is right, right here. Okay, great. And uh, the task, uh, I'm just gonna uh, read it to you. Yeah, so your task is to figure out uh, if a sentence is a pangram. And uh, pangram, you can understand it as that it's gonna use every letter of the alphabet at least once. It should be case insensitive. And uh, uh, for this specific, uh, for this particular task, uh, you need to use the sentence that uh, contains uh, at all uh, 26 letters of English alphabet once. Mm -hmm. so, uh, um, okay, so as far as I understood, I uh, will uh, write a function that will check whether a sentence is a pangram and a sentence is a pangram if it consists uh, with every single alphabet letters for, uh, English alphabet, right? So it must consist of each letter in the alphabet, at least once, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, just an additional uh, 
ask for you during the implementation. Please explain us step by step what you are doing, uh, what are your thoughts, uh, you know, uh, so it will um, be. <laughs> yes, yes, sure. So um, I will create a, a function here that will check whether a sentence is a pangram. I will create a string uh, with the alphabet, and then I will create a set collection. So um, I will check whether a letter uh, is included in the string of the alphabet. And if it does, then I will add this to the set. So um, that's if I will use this way, I uh, will not count like special characters, numbers, all of that. I will count only letters in the lower case. And set is a collection that consists of unique elements that's why in the end the size of the set must be equals to 26 and if it does then it is pangram and if it's not then then it is not a pangram sounds good uh just make sure to use the string that i sent you in the chat uh, as a input to your function okay um let me get started here so uh here is the test string I will name it like um, input one oh, or just input. Yeah, just input. All right, so for now, I will create a string that consists of alphabet. So I will create the string alphabet equals, and it will be just A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Yeah, seems to be right. And now I will create the function that will check whether the sentence is a pangram. So um, is pangram. I will receive an input as a string. And here I will check whether it's a pangram. So first of all, um, I will create a set. So const, I will name it like um, unique letters will be equals to the new set. So I created a set here and now I will have a loop that will go through the whole input. Um, for example, I can use a for each loop, for, for example, uh, but no, that's a string. I will use just a usual for loop here. So for let i will be equals to zero, while i is less than the uh, length of this string i plus plus I will check whether a letter is inside the alphabet so um, uh, input i no vice versa alphabet includes uh, input i uh, if, of course, if, if alphabet includes input i, if includes uh, input i dot lowercase, of course, because we must think about casing in 70, so to lowercase. So if includes, uh, then we can uh, add it to the set. So it would be unique letters dot add input i 
dot lowercase. As I used to lowercase twice, I can create just a new variable here. For example, const letter would be input i to lowercase. So um, I will save it in a separate variable and then I will check it here on the line 13 and here on the line 14 as well. So before I will return something, I will just uh, write the set to the console to see what is inside. So um, I will write console log unique letters. And now let me uh, call this function. Is pangram and input would be as here. So uh, we can see that we have 25 letters here. Not 20, oh, 26, yes, because we, we start from zero, obviously. So uh, it seems to be that it works. So let me do, inside instead of console log, I will return if unique letters uh, size would be equals to 26, because 26, that's the length of the whole alphabet. And here, I will try it with my input string. So if uh, it's pangram, I will provide this input as a test. So it must give me the true, and it does. We have true, and now let me recheck it with uh, wrong input. For example, is pangram, and I will provide um, I will provide something like this. For example, this is not a pangram, and it must give me false, and it does. Good. Uh, so how it is? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I just uh, want to say that, uh, uh, Alexei, I see that uh, the argument name is the same as your input uh, variable on line three, which might lead to potential errors. Uh, uh, how can you um, uh, solve this? And what type of error do you think it might be? Oh, I see, I see. Um, I'm using uh, the parameter name, the same as the test name here, and that's why if even if I will rename it to the just sentence, for example, it still will it still work because now I'm using the outer input from here. That's I see the error now. So um, for that, I can use var variable, for example, or I can just uh, rename my parameter to sentence, like I. Uh, Put here. I think the best approach will be just to uh, use another name, so we can avoid these shadow namings. Yeah, so the good. Will be here, and now we have the same functionality, but we won't have any problems with it here. Okay, Alexey. Imagine that um, I, I, your your solution works. Okay, I see uh, that you already like provided us uh, uh, the proof. But imagine that your input is uh, contains uh, like million of characters, but the first twenty six uh, of these characters are at the beginning. So uh, can you improve the algorithm so we won't process the whole string, but we only process this uh, you know uh, this first twenty six or whatever uh, like characters in order to understand that we already like have the solution. 
Um, yeah, I think I got you. So um, you're talking about the case when we have like more than uh, 1000 letters in the test string, but the first 26 would be the alphabet or the first 100 and we just don't need to proceed with others. So yeah. um, that case, I can just uh, test it inside a loop. I can uh, write a condition that, for example, uh, if uh, unique letter size would be already 26 they can i can just return true and that's all yeah something like this yeah that's right uh but uh do you think it's better to do it at the end of the current iteration or at the beginning um i think that would be uh actually yeah let me copy that. Uh, I think that we should uh, do this check uh, after the end of the thing, uh, because uh, obviously um, in the beginning of this for loop, we will definitely need to very, uh, first of all add it and then check, because it would be the um, like uh, sorry, uh, there would be like um, one more operation that is not necessary. Yeah. Okay, uh, great. So uh, I think we are done with the coding task and with the whole interview. Thank you, Alexei, for your answers. Thank you, Victor, for your questions. That was great. So there we have it. Thanks very much to both Victor and Alexei for what was an incredibly engaging interview. I hope you found it as interesting and useful uh, as I did listening in there. What's great now is we're now going to take uh, about two to three minutes uh, with both our interviewer and our interviewee to get a little bit of feedback on how that process went, understand perhaps some of the areas that were challenging, and also get a general feel for how the flow of the interview went. So first, let's speak to our interviewee, Alexi, uh, and get a little bit more detail on, on that session. Alexi, so uh, how did you think that went? What was your general feeling of the, of the overall process? Uh, thank you, Chris, for the question. So the whole interview was very light and uh, easy to follow. Uh, I wasn't even nervous. I was nervous just a little bit in the beginning, you know, uh, but after the first question uh, was asked, I was like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's great. Do not be nervous. <laughs> so everything was really, really, really great. I liked it a lot. And thank you so much uh, for this interview. Thank you. Amazing. Yeah. And I think it's normal for most people to get nervous during an interview. Um, but I can tell, certainly having listened in, that it was a perfectly streamlined, good responses to all the questions. Was there anything at all that maybe caught you off guard or a challenge or, or you were genuinely kind of on point with what, how you were responding? Um, so uh, actually, I wasn't um, I wasn't expect uh, some unexpected questions here. So um, everything was um, even not like very easy, but everything was easy to answer. I uh, was prepared for that, and that's why the whole flow was great for me as well. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this and a little insider information for our listeners. Although I mentioned at the beginning that this was a five plus years experience role, Alexi is just coming up to that five years, so about four years. And, and I know that all of us listening and myself included are very impressed in your responses. So if that isn't motivating for perhaps some of our Anywhere Club listeners, I'm not too sure what it is. But thank you so much for your kind of 
elegant, succinct responses to those questions. It was really appreciated. Thank you. No problem. And now we move over to Victor, our interviewer, to tell us a little bit more. So, Victor, it'd be great to get your overall impressions of the interview, and then I'll ask you a few more kind of deep dive questions. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think the interview went very smoothly. So uh, it's really obvious that Alexei was uh, great uh, prepared. Uh, and uh, each questions that I asked, uh, he uh, answered really uh, sharp. So uh, it's really nice uh, to uh, conduct sessions uh, for such uh, prepared candidates because, you know, it can, it can be otherwise. And uh, yeah, usually, uh, like Alexei mentioned, uh, uh, I try to start with some warm questions uh, just to make sure candidate is uh, is uh, 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 feeling comfortable, yeah, and then proceed to straight to the uh, agenda uh, with uh, all the questions that I prepared. So overall, I think everything went really great. Amazing, and I think I agree with you. Was there anything in there that really impressed you throughout the whole interview? Something that really jumped out, and you thought, "Wow, that was, that was a great response." Uh, yeah, about uh, React, like I said, it was, uh, as it, uh, Alexei mentioned, uh, fiber architecture is really advanced topic. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, it's great that Alexei uh, knows about it, about knowledge, about hooks and about clean code uh, and his uh, vision about how to organize code review process. Uh, it's a really important uh, uh, topic. And overall, we really liked his questions about uh, soft skills uh, topics, uh, uh, specifically about motivation. It's really important ones. And uh, uh, I really liked that Alexei talked from uh, his experience during the questions. So I value this uh, uh, during the interview that I uh, conduct myself. And uh, I, as an interviewer, also uh, like to talk from my experience. Uh, I think this is most valuable thing. Uh, uh, on any interview. Definitely. And it, and it wouldn't be an interview without me asking for perhaps one development point or something that perhaps you'd like to have heard a little bit more about. Was there anything at all in the interview that you thought Alexi could perhaps angle a little bit differently or perhaps give a little bit more detail on, perhaps as a development area? Yeah, maybe uh, I, it would be great to hear more about uh, server-side uh, technique, about these uh, frameworks um, like uh, Next.js. Uh, that it's not only about server-side rendering, but actually it's about that these frameworks contains a lot of like solutions, like uh, Alexi mentioned about Angular. It's a uh, uh, really complex solution that already has a lot of uh, built-in uh, uh, features uh, that uh, can benefit, uh, uh, you know, a project can, can benefit from. from. And uh, yeah, it's currently a really um, important uh, uh, important uh, uh, vector yeah, for front-end applications. Uh, but overall, uh, you know, uh, the answer was uh, good enough. But this is just, you know, um, recommendation, which I would recommend Alexei to look into. Absolutely. Well, thank you also to yourself, Victor, for your expert interviewing skills there. It's been a real privilege to have you join us as part of this uh, interview series. Uh, happy to be here. Thank you for invitation. And uh, it was really great. No problem. So there we have it, uh, another interview uh, Anywhere Club series completed. Uh, it's been a real privilege to have you join us. Now, what would be my top tip to take away from this? I think we heard from our interviewee around unexpected questions, and I'm sure uh, you realized as well that Alexi wasn't tripped up on that. But I think 
always go into an interview expecting the worst necessarily is not my advice, but expecting the unexpected. And I think sometimes some questions can trip you up. Our interviewee demonstrated perfectly. This is not about uh, perhaps trying to bend the truth or try and get away with something that you don't necessarily know. Instead, just give an honest response to those questions. If something isn't for you or perhaps you have an area that you're challenged upon, then just call that out. And I think between the two of you, you can have a conversation and really get to the crux of what you're trying to discuss. So that's my tip for today. Uh, in my final few words, uh, I would say, of course, if you haven't engaged with the Anywhere Club online, then please do check us out on our social media platforms and engage with us on Discord, our very active online community. As a reminder, the Anywhere Club is a global community for IT professionals to learn new languages, help with relocation, and of course, develop their IT skills, programming languages, and other competencies with like-minded individuals from all over the world. If you've liked what you've watched today, then be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And I will see you very, very soon for the next video in our Anywhere Club interview series. I've been Chris Howard. It's been a real privilege to have you join us, and I will see you very, very soon.